0: Welcome to UNews, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, August 9th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. The United Nations warning that the planet's climate crisis is intensifying. Global temperatures are rising faster than expected. Dozens of scientists and climate agencies urging for swift action to address the worsening situation. In California, the Dixie Fire spreading rapidly, the blaze destroying more than 600 structures with thousands more in danger. That fire now California's second largest in history. And Florida already reporting the nation's highest coronavirus infection numbers now seeing an even greater increase as states with low vaccination rates report a rise in the number of children and teenagers hospitalized with COVID-19. The latest on the pandemic today on U News. A major report by the United Nations on climate change issuing a dire warning for humanity today. The UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has concluded the world has warmed faster than previously thought. The report says the Earth's average temperature is currently about 1.1 degrees warmer than pre-industrial levels. It also predicts we could hit 1.5 degrees in the next decade, and that's considered a key metric to trigger disasters that are both catastrophic and difficult to reverse. The new report marks the first time the IPCC has declared the climate crisis as being caused by humans, and experts are calling it a wake-up call to the planet's governments, and corporations that more must be done to mitigate the impacts of carbon building in the atmosphere. And out west, a devastating fire, just the latest sign of the impacts of a warming planet. The Dixie Fire now exploding in size, consuming everything in its path as firefighters fight desperately to slow that fire's march. Here's Grecia Lastra with more.
1: Overnight, firefighters driving through this raging inferno surrounded on both sides by the Dixie Fire as they try getting a handle on what has become the second largest wildfire in California's history, which is now threatening 14,000 structures, already destroying more than 600, including homes and the entire Gold Rush town of Greenville since it started roughly 27 days ago. Four firefighters injured and five people still unaccounted for. Jack Romero now without a home and frantically trying to get in touch with a close friend.
2: He's an older guy like my mom and and
1: I'm worried. She's worried to death. Others with no idea where to turn to next.
3: I've got to have a home. I'm getting older. I can't live on the streets. I don't even know where to
4: begin. So I want to go home.
1: This is Grecia Lastra reporting for You News.
0: And wildfires not just confined to the United States with massive flames seen outside Athens all last week. The Greek Prime Minister on Sunday night thanking countries that sent help to fight the devastating wildfires there. The countries that gave assistance include 11 EU members as well as the U.S., U.K., Egypt and Israel, among others. More than a thousand firefighters have been tackling major infernos across Greece while supporting the form of aircraft, helicopters and vehicles has arrived from abroad. So far, the wildfires have left at least two people dead since early August. And closer to home in Latin America, Peruvian firefighters are also battling forest fires in the southern part of the country. More than 500 personnel are at work to put out the blazes that began on August 5th and have so far consumed more than 2,500 acres of natural forest. So far, strong winds have stoked the flames making fire control very difficult. Authorities say no deaths or injuries had been reported. And in Bolivia, a similar story as wildfires sweep across the eastern lowlands, putting thousands of acres at risk in an area known for its diverse wildlife. And it's not just fires, heavy rains and flooding also posing a threat around the world. Heavy floods in the eastern part of North Korea have affected over 1,100 homes, while massive rainfall has also led to the evacuation of about 5,000 people there. In response, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has deployed the nation's army to the flood-hit areas. Now to the latest on the coronavirus crisis here in the United States, hospitals in some regions overwhelmed with patients and running out of ICU beds. The U.S. daily average for new COVID-19 cases is above 100,000 as the Delta variant surges across the country, mainly in the unvaccinated population. For some, the return to normalcy appears to be fading quickly health officials frustrated over a COVID surge. In 47 states, the seven-day average of new cases is surging by at least 10% more than the previous week, according to data from Johns Hopkins University. And the U.S. is averaging more than 100,000 new COVID-19 cases every day. As the Delta variant surges through unvaccinated populations across the country, the CDC director says, breakthrough infections are possible in those who are vaccinated with 164 million people who are vaccinated. um, We should expect tens of thousands perhaps of uh, breakthrough infections. Dr Rochelle Walensky also says vaccinated people who get breakthrough infections can transmit the virus. Those breakthrough infections have mild illness. They are staying out of the hospital. They are not dying and I think that that's the most important thing to understand. The number of patients hospitalized with COVID-19 now topping 66,000. Nearly 8,400 people admitted each day. Florida, breaking a record Friday with nearly 24,000 new COVID-19 cases. Some hospitals there are suspending elective surgeries and limiting visitors, moving beds into conference rooms, even a cafeteria. Experts warning hospitals could start turning people away.
2: If this pace continues for the next four or five days, uh, which it seems it will, the hospital systems in Florida and Louisiana will collapse. Uh, That's how bad this is.
0: Houston, Texas, a city with nearly 7 million people, is down to just 46 ICU beds.
2: It's impacting all of us, and it actually is beginning to threaten health care for people with other problems.
0: In Louisiana, where they're facing the nation's highest rate of new cases, New Orleans Children's Hospital says they're seeing an epidemic of very young children. And another growing concern among experts if too few people get vaccinated, the virus will be allowed to continue to spread.
2: Sooner or later, you may get a constellation of mutations that would lead to a variant. That might evade the vaccine much more than the current Delta is evading.
0: As the school year begins, there is growing concern that new virus hotspots will emerge. Former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb predicting that Illinois, Indiana and North Carolina could be next. Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine's full FDA approval could come in several weeks. Full approval requires much more data, including safety and efficacy data generated in the real world. Meanwhile, preliminary findings from South Africa show that the J&J shot is highly effective against preventing hospitalizations and death. And as a number of industries continue to try to recover from the still ongoing pandemic, big news for a major cruise line. A U.S. judge has ruled that Norwegian Cruise Line can require passengers to show documentation confirming their coronavirus vaccination status before boarding a ship. In a preliminary ruling, U.S. District Judge Kathleen Williams sided with Norwegian in its argument that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's unpopular law banning so-called vaccine passports jeopardizes public health and is an unconstitutional infringement on Norwegian's rights. DeSantis has fought tooth and nail to prohibit cruise lines from requiring passengers sailing from Florida to show proof of their vaccination status. And now to Washington, where the United States Senate is making a major push to bring a bipartisan infrastructure package to a vote. Edwin P.T. has the latest from our D.C. Bureau. Edwin.
3: Andrea, that's right. The Senate is expected to pass tomorrow more of the Biden infrastructure bill. And I can tell you that in a 68 to 29 vote, the Senate closed down the debate on a bill negotiated by a bipartisan group, of 10 senators. The proposal spends $550 billion in a new money in the nation's physical infrastructure. After 50 hours of debate over the weekend, a total of 18 Senate Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, joined all 50 Democrats to advance the bill. This is what the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, had to say. Democrats are ready and willing to vote on additional amendments to the bill before moving to final passage. Once again, that will require the cooperation of our Republican colleagues. I hope they will cooperate so we can move more quickly. Otherwise, we'll proceed by the book and finish the bill. This comes after months of furious negotiations, clearing a major hurdle for President Joe Biden's agenda. The infrastructure deal may face an uncertain future in the House, but senators say they are confident the bill will pass. The massive package called the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is a culmination of negotiations between the bipartisan group of senators and the Biden administration. So far, some 70 senators are poised to carry the bipartisan infrastructure bill to passage. A potentially robust tally of lawmakers are eager to tap the billions in new spending it will unleash for public works projects back home. Meanwhile, a budget resolution has been released by Senate Democrats with a hefty price tag of $3.5 trillion. The summary doesn't include an increase to the debt limit, but it includes that it will invest in families, climate change, health care and infrastructure, and jobs. The budget blueprint proposes also to expand Medicare, boost federal child care and education programs. This budget resolution is the first step, and it will head to the committees to write and start drafting the reconciliation bill. And it will have to be fast when the Senate approve it because the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, made it clear that she's not bringing the infrastructure bill to the floor for a vote unless it comes with a $3.5 trillion spending bill. Live in Washington, D.C., Back to you, Andrea.
0: Thank you, Edwin, for that report. And another news from Capitol Hill as the House continues to investigate the deadly January 6th insurrection. A New Jersey gym owner and former MMA fighter pleaded guilty Friday to assaulting a police officer during that insurrection. It marks the first time someone has been convicted of violence against police during the breach. Scott Fairlam also pleaded guilty to obstructing an official proceeding. According to his deal with prosecutors, he could face a sentence of more than three years in prison. He has also agreed to pay $2,000 in restitution for damages to the Capitol. Body cam footage shows Fairlam following and taunting officers and punching one in the head. Another defendant, Devlin Thompson, later pleaded guilty Friday to assaulting an officer with a dangerous weapon. And now to New York, where Governor Andrew Cuomo is facing growing legal and political fallout from accusations that he sexually harassed 11 women. The governor denies the allegations and is resisting calls for him to resign. Instead, he's attacking the credibility of the investigation into his conduct. And now, one of his accusers has filed a criminal complaint against him. Rafael Rodriguez has the latest.
2: New York Governor Andrew Cuomo facing a potential misdemeanor charge over allegations he groped his former executive assistant. Brittany Camiso now going public with her story.
4: What he did to me was a crime. He broke the law.
2: Camisso is one of 11 women investigators say were sexually harassed by the governor.
4: Then they started to be hugs with kisses on the cheek. And then there was at one point a hug. And then when he went to go kiss me on the cheek, he'd quickly turned his head and he kissed me on the lips.
2: Those allegations laid out in a scathing report released by New York State Attorney General Letitia James.
4: He touched me not only once, but twice, and I don't think that that had happened to any of the other women, the touching. And I believe that because of what had happened to me, that that was the most inappropriate of the actions that he had done.
2: Camisso explaining why she didn't come forward sooner.
4: People don't understand that this is the governor of the state of New York.
2: The former assistant is the first of Cuomo's 11 accusers to file a criminal complaint. The Albany County Sheriff, saying his office, is conducting a thorough investigation. The Attorney General's office says it will cooperate fully and turn over all evidence. Meanwhile, a shakeup in the governor's camp, Melissa DeRosa, the governor's top aide, seen seated by his side for his daily COVID briefings, announcing her resignation. DeRosa was also named in the AG's report, allegedly assisting the retaliation against Lindsey Boylan, the first Cuomo accuser. In her statement, DeRosa does not mention the governor at all, but says, Personally, the past two years have been emotionally and mentally trying. I am forever grateful for the opportunity to have worked with such talented and committed colleagues. Over the weekend, the governor, seen for the first time since his pre-recorded video message after the release of that bombshell report, Cuomo has vehemently denied any sexual misconduct or inappropriate advances. His lawyer striking back against Camisso's claims in an hour-long interview on
0: CNN. He did not grope her. He did not grope her. And there was evidence that was provided by several individuals to the attorney general about potential motives for her to have made that claim. I'm not going to get into that now, but none of that was included in the report.
2: Rafael Rodriguez, U News.
0: Another major news, making headlines today, former President Trump's 2020 campaign and the Republican Party refunded nearly $13 million to donors in the first half of the year. According to the New York Times, the campaign misled donors who gave online, not telling them that their single donation was a recurring payment. The article reports more than $135 million has been refunded by the Trump re-election campaign and the RNC through June 20th of 2021. And 1,600 Americans affected by the September 11th terror attack nearly 20 years ago are asking President Biden to release the government's records. The group sent a letter to the president reminding him of a campaign promise to release documents and information about that terrorist attack which killed nearly 3,000 people. Some have accused the government of keeping the American people in the dark about Saudi Arabia's role in supporting Osama bin Laden. The group does not want President Biden to attend the 20th anniversary memorial ceremonies at Ground Zero in New York if he does not comply. On Friday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the president remains committed to his campaign pledge but needs the DOJ to take the final steps. In New York, life as a small business owner in a global pandemic remains immensely challenging, and no industry has been hit seemingly as hard as a restaurant business. Ana de Mendoza takes us inside one restaurant to see how the challenges for owners and their workers keep mounting.
5: Hola, ¿cómo estás?
6: Bien, aquí en la lucha, tú sabes, con ahora. Life as a restaurant owner is more hectic now than the previous 20 years Susana Osorio has been in the business. We are here selling food, we are a restaurant, our employees are not trained for that, neither am I as the owner trained to confront a person. She means that in a month, they will have to require vaccinations from customers before seating them, that we find you or we will do this to you, we can't work like this anymore. They found that plastic curtains, which move and there is ventilation all the time, went only halfway up and they wanted them up at the top. The city of New York is still working out the details of how to implement the measures. If the person has to be stopped at the door, if it is inside, if you have a restaurant where you sell hot food inside and it is a takeout, but also has tables, how do you separate the two people? Fines could be up to $1,000.
3: We understand that people should
6: be vaccinated, but I should not be the vaccination police. That should be done by the state, the city. They claim to offer a space inside the restaurant for authorities to vaccinate people, because for them, the customer is always right. Reported by Blanca Rosavilches in New York City, Ana de Mendoza, U News.
0: U.S. Customs and Border Protection says shots were fired at one of their agents during a routine patrol in the El Paso, Texas region. The incident happened on Friday and authorities believe the shots came from the Mexican side of the Rio Grande. Border Patrol says no one was injured in the gunfire and the suspects were seen fleeing in a vehicle. Officials believe that about 20 rounds were fired towards the agent. The shooting is now under investigation by the FBI. Meanwhile, thousands of U.S. children living on Mexico's northern border began crossing into the U.S. to attend schools in Texas, Arizona, and California. Many of these students making that crossing daily for classes, but in some cases, those students are forced to be separated from
5: their families. Genesis Vieira explains. Before dawn, U.S. students living in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, resume their routine of crossing border bridges to attend schools in El Paso, Texas. It is a sacrifice that sisters Stephanie and Priscilla Rodriguez made throughout elementary school. Sometimes you arrive at 5 o'clock at the bridge and end up crossing at 840, 850, so you are late for school. Hundreds of children and teenagers wait in line to enter the United States. Others, like the Rodriguez sisters, cross on Monday and stay all week with families separated from their parents. It is hard, sometimes even in school it's hard, studying and all thinking, ah, my dad, I can't see them when my friends see them daily. The family is separated because the border is still closed due to the pandemic and the parents only have tourist visas. Now we can't enjoy anything. Now awards that they can earn in school for their excellence, we can't share them. El Paso health authorities recognize the risk of receiving students coming from Mexico. Yes, we are concerned because of low vaccination rate in Ciudad Juarez, but we have the opportunity for those who can receive the vaccine on this side of the border to do so. The U.S. public schools have no record of how many students are in this situation. Some families rent apartments and students only return to Mexico on weekends to see their parents, like Priscilla and Stephanie. Reported by Maria Eugenia Payan in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, Genesis Vieira for U News
0: across the asia pacific region many people are back in lockdown and health systems are being pushed to their limits due to the delta variant cities in china have rolled out mass testing and imposed strict lockdowns with case numbers ticking up On Monday, that country reported 125 new infections across four provinces, most of them locally transmitted. Meanwhile, in the capital, Beijing, restrictions have been put in place to try and contain the outbreak, including extra screening procedures for people traveling to the city. Also making headlines today, the Taliban now controls nearly four provincial capitals in Afghanistan, underscoring now heavily Afghan government forces have relied on U.S. military power to hold back the militants. The Taliban's relentless push kicking into high gear after U.S. forces and other international forces began their withdrawals in May. They seized rural areas first. Now they are going after bigger cities. Closer to home in Colombia, officials from that country, as well as those from Panama, met to find a solution to the migratory crisis in Nicocli on Friday. For more than 15 days, that coastal town in northwestern Colombia has seen an influx of some 10,000 migrants from Haiti, Cuba, Venezuela and even Africa who are trying to reach Panama and ultimately the United States. The insufficient number of boats unable to satisfy the demand has not allowed many migrants to cross into Central America towards the U.S., something that has wreaked havoc for locals in the midst of the pandemic. And in neighboring Venezuela, that country's ruling socialist party on Sunday held a primary to choose candidates for November elections for governors and mayors, embattled leader Nicolás Maduro said the opposition and government meanwhile are preparing to enter into a negotiation process set to start later this month in Mexico. Maduro also said he had no communication with the U.S. government. The opposition is still negotiating conditions for participating in the November talks. And in Brazil, bikers took part in a rally in Brasilia on Sunday to support President Jair Bolsonaro. The far-right former army captain appeared alongside thousands of motorcycle-riding supporters, saying the country's state military police forces serve as a support to what he dubbed as, quote, my army. With more than 560,000 people killed by the COVID-19 pandemic and political tensions growing, Bolsonaro has been seeking the support of Brazil's roughly half a million officers. For years, residents in Central Florida have complained about smoke and ash caused by the annual burning of sugarcane during harvest season. The burn practice, which is part of the harvesting process, disproportionately affects low-income communities in the area, hardly ever reaching the wealthier areas in nearby West Palm Beach. Now, a new ProPublica and Palm Beach Post investigation reveals that the systems for testing air quality in the area fails to capture the impact of the burns, despite past assurances that the air is safe to breathe. Joining me now is one of the reporters on this story, Maya Miller from ProPublica. Thank you so much for joining us today, Maya. Welcome to U News.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: What were some of your most surprising findings in this
1: report? Yeah. So, um, you know, for years, residents have been saying that the air is unhealthy to breathe, that they are worried about the effects from the sugarcane harvesting process, which involves burning cane. And um, they have been pointing to this monitor. So our country has a network of monitors to tell us whether the air is safe. And if you open your phone right now and look at your weather app, you'll see it tells you whether the air is safe where you are. And that's based on these monitors. And so. We looked at this one monitor uh, across 400,000 acres of where they cultivate sugar, which involves burning the crop. And there's one monitor there, and we had found that it actually had been malfunctioning. Uh, They found that it was malfunctioning in 2013. And that was the monitor they had been relying on to say that the air is safe, it's healthy enough to breathe. And so even as residents have been saying, you know, we can't go outside, we don't feel safe, uh, we're concerned, the state officials and, uh, you know, sugar industry representatives have been saying the air is fine um, because this monitor is saying so. So we did our own air quality monitoring uh, to fill in some of the gaps.
0: The reporting team also spoke to dozens of families there, as you noted. What is it like to live in this area during those burns? Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and something that really stuck with us as we were doing the reporting Um I, you know, one family uh, told us, Thelma Freeman and her two grandsons, Donovan and Jaycee, and they both have uh, upper respiratory issues, and so during the season in which they burn the crop, a lot of smoke and ash can sometimes pass over these neighborhoods uh, in the southern area of Florida where this is taking place, um, and so they—she she makes sure that they stay home uh, for most of that five, six months during this, while this is taking place. So, you know, these two kids don't leave the house often, uh, because of the fear of it. And then, um, we also heard from people that, you know, Ash, you know, when we were doing interviews in the field, Ash would sometimes fall on their notebooks. Um, Ash regularly falls on their car, cars, falls on homes and they have to power wash them, uh, You know, there's common understanding not to rub the ash when it falls on your clothing in or else it can smudge your clothing. And so uh, there were a lot of concerns that people had just about, you know, feeling safe going outside and um, their property and uh, just being able to breathe safely.
0: Wow. And they really sound like valid concerns. Now, how has the sugar industry reacted to your reporting and these claims being made by these families that have been impacted one way or another?
1: Yeah, so um, the companies, U.S. Uh, Sugar and the Crystals, um, we uh, sh- shared our findings with them about a month or so before we published our story, and we really wanted to make sure we were getting this right. And we wanted to understand from them if, if we were getting something wrong, give them a chance to correct it. And so we went back and forth with them. Um, they continued to assert that the air quality is uh, totally safe and healthy, um, that there was nothing wrong with the monitor and the way that they were using it. And so we actually published a back and forth that we went through with the sugar industry and our responses to their critique of our investigation. And I'd encourage anyone who's interested to go to propublica.org to check those out. But yeah, b- back again to just what you were, we were talking about earlier with what we're really started this is what residents concerned are about, um, or are concerned about. And, you know, that's at the forefront of this investigation of why we did this was because more than half of the cane sugar in the United States comes from this area in Florida and uh, more, than, more than 31,000 residents are now living you know in w- among these fields and have these concerns about air quality and uh, feel that they you know really can't, a lot of them feel like they really can't breathe safely.
0: Well, if some adjustments are needed and things need to change, hopefully that can happen. Maya Miller from ProPublica, thank you for this important piece of reporting and taking the time to share it with us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday we partner with
5: Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. That would essentially put an end to the longest war in US history.
3: This is the interior
7: of a stash house that we found in this right along today.
0: State authorities recommend avoiding them at night. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. It's looking like the end of an era for a player who for many is the best ever to set foot on a soccer field. On Sunday, in front of his family, teammates, and scores of soccer fans around the globe, an emotional Lionel Messi said farewell to Barcelona, the only club he has known since he became a teenager. Meridi Morangi has more.
7: It was his last press conference at the club he joined at 13 years old. And as soon as he arrived at the podium, Lionel Messi broke into tears while trying to tell the world that his time with FC Barcelona was over. He tried to stop the tears while those in attendance applauded one of the greatest soccer players on the planet. But the reality overwhelmed him. This is very hard for me after so many years. After living my life here, I wasn't ready. The club announced last week that it could no longer keep the Argentinian megastar after two decades of triumphs. Today I have to say goodbye to all of this. And as I said before, it has been many years, my whole life here. Messi says that he accepted a 50% salary reduction to stay with Barcelona, but negotiations apparently broke down. I can assure you that I did everything I could to stay, because I wanted to stay. Outside the stadium, fans chanted his name, and many looked crushed. I am destroyed, we can't let him go this way, he doesn't deserve it. Even in front of the player's private residence, his fans only had words of gratitude. We want to thank Messi because I am a soccer coach and he taught me everything. I won with his tactics and that is not happening again. Messi confirmed that he is in talks with French club Paris Saint-Germain about a possible transfer. A French newspaper revealed that as early as today, Messi would already be undergoing a medical examination in Paris to seal a deal with the club. I had many calls from several clubs that were interested and nothing has been decided yet. Barcelona has debts amounting to $1.18 billion and wants to find a way to alleviate some of its overwhelming financial burdens. Reported by Gallo Ariano, Maridi Morungi, U News.